Hello, this is Frank Falvey with Frank Presents. And in our continuing series of uh, interviewing candidates uh, for the November 7th town election, Steve Sherlock uh, with Franklin Matters, uh, myself, Frank Falvey. Our next candidate is Kobe Fringello. <laughs> Kobe, you, welcome to the program. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, Kobe and I have an interesting relationship. I used to square dance with his grandparents. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and his grandmother owned the little shop. The little, uh, white, the little white dress shop? Or? Yeah, the little white dress shop down by where the, uh, the railroad tracks yep. are in the... Uh, in the crossing? The, the, the crossing, crossing Yeah, the mill building. Sure. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, mill yeah. building, yeah. 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 Colby... Uh, you you grew up here in Franklin, but tell us a little about yourself. Well, as you heard, I, I not only grew up here, but my dad grew up here, uh, which is why you know my, my grandparents. Uh, so yeah, third generation in Franklin. My, my family, uh, they were West Enders, so keep, uh, immigrated from Italy to the West End of Boston. Um, they were forced out uh, of the West End, spent a little time in Mattapan, and were able to find a home uh, in the 60s, I believe 1962, uh, in Franklin on Coronation Drive. Uh, my dad grew up here uh, his whole life. Uh, I grew up on the same in the same house um, that I'm currently living in, in 140 Maple Street. Um, and uh, I've just loved this community and everything that um, it, it's given to me. Uh, I went to uh, Franklin High School, graduated in 2015, went off to college at, at UMass Amherst where I studied uh, policy, political science, economics, got my master's in public policy, uh, ended up finding a job uh, in Rentham uh, pretty randomly uh, related to my policy interests. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of naturally... Um, start paying attention to whatever community I'm in. And so it was great to be back uh, in Franklin and I was paying attention and getting more and more involved when uh, someone stepped down uh, from the town council, um, former Councillor McCarthy Earls, uh, and there was an opening and there seemed to be this opportunity to uh, engage um, a newly excited um, population of Franklin that hadn't traditionally been involved uh, in local government. And so can we get all these people that are for the, you know, often for the first time stepping out in the wake of uh, the murder of George Floyd on Facebook pages, sort of in COVID, there was this, this uh, resurgence of let's talk about the impact that we can have in our community. But I wasn't hearing that being tied to local government. And so that was really what that first uh, election was about uh, in 2020. And I haven't looked back. Uh, when I got elected in 2020, I have absolutely uh, fallen in love with the work. It's the most rewarding thing that I do. Um, it is exciting. It's challenging. Um, it forces me to use a whole bunch of different skills. And I really feel like we were making progress, like we're, we're um, sort of, as I've been saying, riding the ship uh, that Franklin uh, was headed on and is now headed on. Um, and we have uh, some more work to do, so I'm excited to um, run for re-election and hopefully um, make a little more progress in the right direction. Mm, great. You've tapped into that passion and the section of the community and one of the key aspects I think that you help them take action with, and you can elaborate a little bit more on, the, the, the right of everybody, the ability and almost the requirement that we should be active voters on a regular basis. 
at least voting. Whether how much more else you get engaged, that's another story. But at least by voting. Absolutely. I the, the previous special election, right? I got elected in a special election. The previous special election had like a few hundred people turn out. Yeah. Uh, and so that was a, that was key, right? And we knew that we wanted to run a campaign that was somewhat unlike uh, a town council uh, campaign that Franklin had seen in that we were really going out and knocking on people's doors, or at least in COVID, just dropping letters uh, in their doorway, uh, minimizing face-to-face -face as we could, but showing up to uh, community events, showing up online um, and, and, and using social media as a tool to connect with more people, and uh, phone calling and reminding people uh, that it was time to vote. And we had a whole bunch of high schoolers and college kids that uh, were helping us um, do exactly that, get more people to care about uh, voting in their local elections. And I think it was successful. I mean, the voter turnout on the first one was um, historic levels for a special election. And then last uh, election, two years ago, um, was a massive uptick from where uh, the previous town council uh, elections uh, have been. Uh, I, I vote in every election. I think it's important uh, that we all do. Uh, it's really not that many voters. And so your vote matters that much more. Um, and certainly, if, if that vote comes along with reminding a few other people um, to vote as well. So uh, yeah, still trying. Uh, I have another team that's that's uh, part of our mission is, is to talk about some of the values that I care about. But most of our mission is just to get people to know that there's an election and to care about that election um, and, and help uh, ensure that the council reflects their values. Mm -hmm. So we'll follow and go back on a little bit in your background in terms of your public policy, MBA, et cetera. And what are those skills that you bring to the table now in your role that you're looking forward to in terms of the new term on a council? Yeah, I think I have a few unique things, and this is not to take away from uh, any of my colleagues who I uh, enjoy working with. Um, part is that policy background, right? I'm the only one who studied um, how, what are the considerations when you enact a policy? Are we thinking through equity? Are we thinking through efficiency? How do we do uh, a cost-benefit analysis that appropriately takes into uh, all considerations? And it's what I do in my career um, outside, is, is how do we balance uh, the interests of a lot of different people? Uh, how do we ensure that a decision makes sense not only for now, but for uh, years in the future? And so trying to bring that uh, lens and mindset uh, I think it's something that I, I contribute uh, to the team. Uh, the other is I have time and energy and interest in showing up and uh, I, I see engagement not only as being available uh, to be connected with, but actually showing up and trying to meet people where they are. So showing up to uh, community events and, and setting up tables. I've done uh, coffee shops and farmer's market and, and the um, strawberry stroll and, and harvest festival, uh, as well as showing up to uh, different community uh, organizations, the, the Rod and Gun Club uh, Pancake Breakfast and the Rail Trail Committee um, that, I, that I am happy to be uh, president of. I think all of that uh, comes with engagement, including social media. Right now, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think I have an ability uh, and an understanding and a, and a familiarity with social media that allows me uh, to connect um, more readily on, on that platform. So the, the, the policy background and, and the community engagement background, uh, I think, are, are some of the things that I, I get to add to the team. Mm -hmm. yeah. And without leading you, because uh, clearly I know for those who haven't been aware, we've already co collaborated on, I think it was eight podcasts around yeah. the zoning changes, et cetera. <clears throat> One key aspect of that is kind of new growth. And <clears throat> in your position, certainly you're going to be getting another budget. 
and the budget forecast for the next several years doesn't look so rosy. So your explanation to the voters and the residents as to what your priority adjustments are going to be is certainly going to be critical. You want to expand on what we need to do to avoid some of those bad days potentially that are coming at us? Sure, yeah. I, I think that there's, there's a temptation to be overly negative, and, and I, I am certainly going to get to the point of here's where we need to improve. Mm -hmm. We're also very, very lucky to be in a community that offers great services uh, with the amount of funds uh, that we have. I, I love this community, I'm proud of us. I mean, we're um, one of the only uh, fire departments in the state to receive uh, the top recognition. Our, our police accreditation puts us into uh, a top uh, small percent of uh, police um, services in, in the state. Our DPW director, which I, I very much give as a team award, was recognized as one of the top uh, public works directors in, in the entire country. Uh, our, our sports, you know, we, almost every year, um, we win the Dalton Award for having the best overall record across uh, all varsity. You know, time and time again, we, we, we do so much, and 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 uh, there's a lot to be uh, proud of. But yeah. We have financial uh, struggles and, and constraints, and uh, we know that um, our uh, schools, um, we were, they asked for a few million dollars more than we were able to get them, and that's only going to get harder uh, as we put uh, that forecast out. We know that our public works, uh, they just presented to us over the next five years, uh, the needs for uh, our roads uh, and sewer and water, somewhere between 120 and 190 uh, million over the next five years um, of money that, that we don't have. Um, we know that uh, we're not fully staffed. Uh, the police department every year comes up uh, back to us and tells us that they're, you know, forcing overtime uh, onto people uh, because, uh, which costs the taxpayers money because they're not uh, fully staffed uh, to where they need to be. We know that we have, uh, we still have to ask other towns around us for our ambulance um, because they're not fully, because the fire department isn't fully staffed to where we want it to be. So there are a lot of different places um, that we have needs. Uh, I think that there's always going to be a need to think critically, think innovatively about how we can get more out of every dollar. But it's getting, get, it's getting very hard to do that. We are continuing to look around every corner. We've done great to squeeze the most out of every dollar. But at some point, and the, the, the term that I've used in meetings is the pot's not big enough mm -hmm. uh, to uh, provide the services uh, that we all want to enjoy. And so then you have uh, two other levers, right? So if, if um, sort of being more efficient in how we provide services is one of those levers, um, the two other levers are choosing uh, to contribute uh, more uh, and that is through the form of an override, which I, I think is going to be a, a question in the very, very near term, um, or choosing to develop in a way that we get more uh, property value, we get more return on each additional investment. And that's really where uh, that zoning conversation, I think one of the pieces that a lot of my colleagues or even people in town tend to forget is they think of those first two budget uh, um, levers where, uh, all right, are we increasing taxes, are we cutting back services? But there's this other uh, lever of, can we grow in a responsible way that doesn't further add to our expenses, but allows us uh, to get new growth and allows us to retain um, the type of community that we want to. And that takes proactive um, rules around how we can develop as a community, and that most often comes in the form of zoning. 
And the zoning discussions clearly, from my own learning experience, having sat through and facilitated those eight discussions, they can be challenging because it's terminology, it's somewhat arcane, some people get sleepy on it. But, <laughs> but to your point, it is critical in terms of enabling the right growth for the right reasons. Right, I, I mean, key to all of this is we love the current community, right? We all chose to live in this community um, because it's a place that we love and that we want to um, you know, work and raise a family and play um, and enjoy our time. And so change is scary. Any change is scary to that. And so the, the, the um, quote that I've uh, taken is, uh, no town um, is exempt from change, but at the same time, no town should experience, or neighborhood should experience radical change. And so how can we not just say no to everything, but say, uh, what is the vision that we're comfortable with that we think moves us toward a more desirable uh, community um, as opposed to um, just shutting down everything and freezing everything in amber and where we struggle to keep up with the services that we also all want to enjoy. Mm. Yeah. Colby. One of the things that the town of Franklin has benefited from is its, its agreements with the local electric supplier. And we have probably the lowest electric rates in the households and for the town than any other community maybe in Massachusetts. And your, a lot of your work is, it revolves around uh, power, right, and electricity? My career, yeah. yeah. Your career. Yeah. And the legislation, uh, with Jeff Roy's help, passed, he's the chair of the Energy Committee. Yeah. And passed, uh, as I understand, bills to bring power from the ocean to the Cape and convert. But it seems like all sorts of uh, economic reasons have interfered with that. Can you bring us up on what's happening to the town rate and, and what, how is that power part of our future in, in helping the town or hindering the town? Sure, yeah. So for those uh, that don't know, um, I work uh, for the Energy Committee at the state legislature, um, currently under the leadership of Chair Roy and I have for the past few years. Um, and in uh, his last session, which is a two-year session, uh, Massachusetts uh, passed two major uh, landmark climate bills um, that were about spurring this energy transition. And key to that is um, generating uh, local clean electricity, and the biggest resource that we have uh, is offshore wind. We have a, a rare combination of shallow waters close to shore um, with really high uh, wind speeds uh, that allow us, um, as, as uh, the representative uh, points out, to be the Saudi Arabia of wind. We have more technical uh, wind uh, our potential wind energy is, is greater than any other state, not only per capita, but period. Um, and so that's one of the major things that we've been able uh, to tap into, because right now our system is very, very reliant on natural gas, and natural gas fluctuates with global uh, circumstances. And so when the war of Ukraine, right, when a, when a tyrant chose to take over uh, a nation next to him, that impacted uh, your uh, energy bill. Uh, 
when uh, COVID um, impacted supply chains um, globally, that impacted your energy bill. And so a lot of it is about how can we be in control of our own power uh, here locally? How does that relate uh, to municipal aggregation program? So again, my background's in, in energy policy. I wrote my uh, master's capstone on municipal energy aggregation programs uh, in Massachusetts. And you're exactly right. Uh, what we've done uh, as a town on behalf of our residents is say, um, your individual purchase power uh, is, is only so strong. But if we as a collective uh, work together and say, um, what's the best rate that you can give us uh, electricity suppliers, um, then we have been able to find a rate that's less than the default rate um, of the local utility. And so when um, prices fluctuated all the way up, I don't know if you know, but you know, your, your energy bills, most of your energy bills weren't hit that hard, but your neighbors uh, were paying 30 plus cents um, per kilowatt hour while you were still locked in on a 1075 uh, per kilowatt hour. Now that contract uh, just uh, ran up. Uh, energy supplies are certainly higher than they were when we first negotiated that contract, but we were still just able to secure and we'll be starting in November um, a new energy contract that not only uh, is expected to be less uh, than the utility, is stable, and that's a key part um, where, you know, as things fluctuate, uh, we'll know exactly what to uh, expect uh, through 2025. Um, and so, hopefully by 2025, uh, the investments that we're making at the state level in local uh, clean energy supply will uh, allow us to continue to bring down um, those electricity prices for decades to come. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask this question. At the Best Western, some families have moved in there and they'll be there maybe for quite a while. What do you see as the best way of having those families become residents of Franklin? Uh, you know, how could we create housing? How could we create uh, other uh, jobs or job opportunities so that those residents could move from the Best Western and become residents of Franklin. First of all, do you favor that? And second of all, uh, have you thought uh, much of how the town council uh, should respond uh, to that population? Yeah, I, I love the way that you framed it, which was starting from the place that we've seen most of our neighbors framing it, of uh, an opportunity uh, to help people in need and, and provide um, some of what we get to enjoy locally um, to people who uh, need it, as well as their ability uh, to contribute uh, to what makes uh, Franklin great. I, um, I think that comes in a few different forms. You named a few uh, things. Most immediately, um, how can we help? Well, we have incredible uh, organizations uh, that are working together and coordinating the Safe Coalition, the Food Pantry, Franklin Area Moms, the Neighbor Brigade, um, Interfaith Coalition have all been working together to, to get can, can needs immediately. Can I for a Yeah, go ahead. You belong and are on the board of directors of an organization that can help. Yes. GATRA. All right, I'm on, I'm on two that could help. One actively is helping, but yes. Okay, I went to the senior center to make a donation to, Degatra charges two bucks yeah. for every ride, Yeah. right? I went to the senior center to make a donation to help pay the two bucks. They couldn't help, they called Gatra, 
psychiatric couldn't help because he could have nothing to do with it. And I haven't heard back from the town of Franklin. I think two things. One, Gatra at some point could provide uh, on some daily or week, uh, day of the week basis a ride between Gatra and places where people can buy food. And secondly, I think they should be able to set up a way of someone like me that wants to make a donation to help pay for the rides. I love both the ideas, and I'm gonna I'm gonna separate uh, both the short term and long term things with a quick aside. So a quick aside on uh, GATRA reimbursements, while not uh, necessarily related to the migrant uh, uh, situation at hand, I did advocate uh, for the first time for us to internalize and expand uh, the reimbursements for uh, GATRA rides to and from the senior center, as well as for the first time this year. Uh, reimbursements for GATRA rides to and from the Franklin Food Pantry. Um, so all, uh, anyone going to the senior center, anyone going to the food pantry, any Franklin residents uh, using either of those services, um, that will be covered um, by the Franklin town budget, which I think was a really important investment and offers some uh, insight into some possible opportunities to help uh, other populations. That currently is in the Franklin town budget? Currently is yeah. If you if you put in the Gatra, um, get me to the senior center. You'll see that it's you should see that it's free to you. Uh, it's not actually free uh, from Gatra's um, point of view. Uh, it means that that's um, being covered by uh, your local government. Yeah. I don't uh, think anyone knows that. Well, I'm happy to share it here, <laughs> um, and it's good feedback that we need to share uh, share that a little more. Uh, can I, can I, I you think make sure the senior center and the food pantry, and what was the other place you could go? Those, to? those are the two. Those are the two. Yeah, uh, um, are, are aware. Leadership is certainly aware. Can you give uh, them but a, maybe we uh, need a, a pamphlets to hand out or something? Uh, we had a pamphlet or, when it was it first enacted, but I think we could use um, a, a, a new pamphlet. Okay. Um, but yeah, these are all like you know great short-term opportunities, right? How can we most immediately help them become integrated? Um, certainly, there are there are restrictions around uh, their ability, and I want to be clear: um, these are not only migrants from abroad, but also um, many people uh, living here in, in Massachusetts for a long time um, that are without homes for. Um, for a variety uh, of reasons. So both of those populations are, are currently residing. Probably half the population currently is native, uh, native uh, Massachusetts. That, that's our sense, yeah, I don't have the exact numbers, uh, but it, it, it's, it's a combination of both. And so how do we help? I mean, these are people, um, you know, trying to raise themselves out of very, very difficult situations. Uh, we talked about, you know, uh, are, are there immediate opportunities for us to help? Transportation, um, basic resources, um, schools, connection, other things. Then there's the longer term needs of how do we build a community that just allows people at different places in life uh, to better uh, enjoy all of Franklin has all that Franklin has to offer, and that's where I come back uh, to zoning and development, and how do we design uh, a community that um, where we don't maybe it's a more steady bus route um, between things, or or maybe um, it's building new housing uh, near uh, some of the basic commercial needs um, and other you know civic needs uh, that don't require um, you know car ownership, and so uh, different conversations ab ab about that. Um, you know, how do we both provide more homes, but make sure that those homes are available to people at different stages of life um, is some of the some of the longer term conversations uh, that we're trying to answer. 
answer while while helping the most you know immediate need. Uh, it's difficult. It's difficult um, as well as advocating for the state and federal uh, government um, to you know we're happy to be uh, welcoming um, and provide, uh, but it still does cost us uh, money and and uh, it's things that we hadn't already baked into our budget. And so making sure that we're still continuing to advocate for as much help as we can. And what's the other organization that you're uh, yeah, so I'm both on the board of directors uh, at GATRA, I'm on the GATRA advisory board, and I'm on the board of directors at the SAFE Coalition. SAFE Coalition um, does a lot of the local work around substance uh, abuse, domestic violence, um, and you know, are, end up playing this role of what services aren't being provided um, and, and trying to cover their uh, they have been uh, absolutely incredible. They've grown tremendously. They're receiving not only uh, recognition around the state, but national recognition for the really important and really human-to-human -human level uh, work that they do. I'm incredibly proud to have joined uh, that board and, and help them uh, continue to expand uh, their services to, to the region. Well, the final question. Hmm. What's the question I haven't asked you that you'd just like to uh, expand on? <coughs> yeah, I, I do. This came to me recently. I had the opportunity to um, speak with Congresswoman Cori Bush. I went to a national uh, conference of elected, and um, she really hammered home that uh, you, you can't fight for a community that you don't first love. And that clicked in my mind. Mm. I, I really, really love this community. Um, every day uh, I'm inspired by how many people are looking out for their neighbors, uh, giving back, uh, contributing in any way that they can to the collective um, you know, vibrancy um, and, and generosity of the community. So I would just name that, um, that I, I'm incredibly honored to have been able to serve uh, over the past uh, three years and, and look forward to the opportunity uh, to serving uh, even more. Um, and the only other thing I would point out, and if you're able to add this uh, to any of the, um, it's sort of below my name, I'm happy. To, you mm -hmm. can reach out to me whenever. Uh, Cfrangillo at franklinma.gov uh, and 774-571-1303, 774-571-1303. That'll go straight to me. I'm happy to talk to uh, anyone. If I can't talk to you right away, we'll set up a time uh, to connect. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Frangelo, uh, I would encourage people that watch this program and watch you to, in their hearts, that really love Franklin, to step forward and offer their expertise. Because there's many people here in, in Franklin uh, that really could help the community, yeah. help the community grow. and. I'm sure you will always found your colleagues in the town and everyone to be helpful yeah. uh, in answering and promoting and, and fostering uh, people uh, uh, to, to be part of the community, like Steve is. Like Steve. <laughs> like Steve. Like Steve. Be like Steve. He wants to, and he we'll wants be to okay. retire secondly from his second job. In a <laughs> so they can do more, yeah. More Steve, Steves and we'll have a good town. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank it's you. It's my pleasure. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again, Kobe. Thank you both for your service. Yeah. We'll and see you all November 7th. I think you're going to say that. I will. October go 24th. Ahead. Go ahead. I'll let you do the final work, but November 7th, October 24th, we'll see you at the polls. 
And and each one of us would enjoy if you came up and said hello to us, uh, and give us your opinion about uh, something. Uh, we'd appreciate it. And so this is Frank Falvey on behalf of uh, Mr. Frangelo, Steve Sherlock, and Frank Falvey, uh, wishing you uh, health and happiness and the love of Franklin that we all share. This program was made possible by your Franklin friends and neighbors. Good folks, just like you. Thanks for supporting Franklin TV. And thanks for watching.